welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of Angel Investors Access with your host, Brandon Burns. I'm excited for today's guest because he is the director at Sold Consulting up in Brisbane and he's also a consultant in the R&D tax early stage investor tax offset and government grant space. So he's going to be really valuable for our audience today. I'd love to welcome Shaquille Youssef. How are you? Good. Thanks, Brendan. How are you going? Excellent. Mate, um, one thing we like to do at the start of the show is paint a picture for our listener and dive deep into understanding what does a typical day in the life of Shaquille Youssef look like? Yeah, absolutely. So look, usually mornings start off with a little bit of exercise, if I can squeeze it in. Uh, school drop-off, so I've got a school-age son, so drop him off to school, and then it's a series of meetings throughout the day. So I could be in the city meeting with a couple of accounting firms that I do some consulting work with. I could be out in the burbs meeting a manufacturing client or a startup in his or her garage talking about their latest and greatest invention and how they might be able to tap into some of these great government grants and incentives. So that's, that is my day. Yeah. And then evenings, um, once the kids in bed, etc., back online and actually smashing out a little bit of actual work. <laughs> Excellent. I love how you mentioned startup and a garage in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It does, um, it does. That's excellent, mate. Now, what's been the one key thing that you've implemented into your day um, that's given you a, a little bit of extra productivity, maybe 5-10% additional uh, efficiency? Yeah. Look, um, I don't know if there's one thing that I could point to. I guess what I have done is... I've, I've learned something about my own personality in that I get distracted. Um, a link pops up and if it's an interesting article, I would rather read that article than do the piece of work that I need to do. So I allow myself a bit of time for that distraction rather than trying to fight it all the time. Cause I know in the back of my head, I'm thinking, Oh, I really want to read that little piece on, you know, machine learning or whatever it is. Um, just saying, well, this is my allocated time. Get you know, kind of scratch that itch, read that article, back to work. So I find allocating a little bit of time for that type of distraction reading, etc., really helps me with productivity. So that's my little thing. Yeah, I love that. So <clears throat> can you give me an insight into both from the founder's perspective, but also the relevance for an angel investor around the opportunities that exist and the benefits that businesses in Australia can realise from getting access to these government grants and, and this yep. tax offset scheme um, that can make, really make or break um, survival for, for a business and a startup. Yep, absolutely. So I'll tackle it from a founder's perspective. So when you're a founder, when you're a founder you come up with this great idea, the first, almost kind of the next step after the idea is the funding question. 
I need to get X amount of dollars into the business to be able to fund whatever it is that I'm developing, whether it's software, whether it's a widget, whether it's just some sort of service. So in those, and usually what that means is you're talking to the usual kind of family, friends, fools, et cetera, trying to get that funding in. In amongst those considerations, I think another one that I would add is, are there any government incentives, funding options available to help with that process? Because the beauty about these government grants and incentives, and I'll talk about a couple of these in a moment, but the beauty about them is one, they're non-diluting in terms of equity. Yep. They're not generally they're not repayable. And there are a couple of grants incentives. There are a couple, there's two types. There's entitlement based and then there's competitive ones. The entitlement based ones are even better in that if you've met a set of rules, then you are entitled to make a claim. So you're not even competing against others. So if you think of those three things, yes, you're not competing against funding with other companies. It's non-diluting. You don't have to pay it back. You know, why wouldn't you look, at least explore that option? So from a founder's point of view, it's, I think it's really critical that, you know, when they start looking at this funding question, they look at what kind of government grants and incentives available. Now it is hard to kind of, go online you type in government grants and incentives and there's a plethora of information that comes up and you don't know what's relevant or not but there's two one two two three key programs that i work in that i encourage everyone to kind of have a a base level of knowledge on so the first one is this program called the research and development tax incentive r&d tax incentive long-standing program been around since the 1980s odd Generally, from a policy point of view, it has the support of both major parties. So it's, you know, with government grants and incentives, they can be subject to the policies of the government of the day. So a new government comes in, they might have a different spin. But this program kind of has both party support generally. They'll do their tweaks, etc. cetera. Um, yeah. But they're generally relevant. What it is, is if you're, if you're a startup or if you're any type of company, and you invest money in research and development and you've spent a certain amount, so minimum 20,000 in particular financial year, yes. you potentially get 43.5% of that back. It, it's kind of as simple as that. So you spend 20, you get eight odd back. Um, and that's money that you can put in back into development, back into the commercialization process, wherever you're at. So what what it does i've heard people talk about it as being a a funding extender so you go into the market for say a hundred thousand and that gets you some seed money to start up and say that hundred thousand goes into eligible r&d at the end of the year you make an r&d tax claim that hundred thousand you've got another forty three and a half thousand back on so suddenly instead of having to go back into the market for the next fifty hundred You've got another 43. It takes you around that bit longer. It means you hold on to the equity a bit longer as well. So it, it all kind of helps build that value. So that's, that's a really, um, it's a big part of what I do is help companies understand what that program is, what's eligible, what's eligible, what's not, and how they take advantage of it. But it, it's a really good program, entitlement-based. You claim each year and you know, as I said, non-diluting, all that sort of good stuff. So from a founder's point of view, absolutely. From an investor's point of view, equally is important because if you're putting money into a company, you want to leverage that as much as you can. You don't want the company suddenly go, 
someone's given a hundred thousand, I need to raise another hundred thousand. Suddenly your equity is getting diluted, right? So yeah. you're talking to the companies and saying, are you taking advantage of these incentives? Because if they're not, then they should, because that dollar that you've put in could get them another 43 and a half percent back from the government. That means you go on for that bit longer. Maybe it means you get your product to the market sooner. Um, yeah. From an investor point of view, it all kind of makes sense as well. Now, with any of these type of programs, there are risks involved, obviously. Um, the ATO is the government body that pays out the money, so you have to manage that process as well. So, yeah, so you got to manage that process as well. But again, from a founder and investor point of view, it's understanding what the risks are and having appropriate advice and advisors to you know help you in that journey. Yeah. So that's that's R and D tax. Grants are a little bit different in that they are competitive. So they'll be typically from anywhere from ten thousand to sometimes a million dollars worth of funding. But there'll be a lot of companies applying and typically success rates around five percent. So five percent of companies that apply get it. If you get it, it's great. Again, it's non-diluting. It's a little bit different to R&D tax in that instead of recouping money you've already spent, this is money you get now to spend in the next 12 to 18 months. So that's, again, from a founder point of view, that's someone kind of almost backing you, in this case, government and taxpayer dollars, to say, here's a bit of dough, go out, you've developed something that, seems like it'll have really strong potential, potentially market disrupting, all those type of things. Here's a, a government incentive to push you along the way. Yeah. So again, it's something that companies should be looking at. From a, an investor point of view, again, it means that instead of going having to go back into the market for funding, you can extend the existing funding a bit longer by matching that up with a government grant. Because typically how these government grants work they work on a matching funding basis. So you ask the government for a dollar, you're required to match a dollar of your own funding through the life of the project. So investor comes in, says, I've got 100,000 to spend. You could potentially take that, apply for a government grant. If you're successful, you've got another 100,000. Instead of having a runway of three months, you've got a runway of six months. So, so you know, from an investor founder point of view, it's important to have a working knowledge of these programs. Yeah, it's absolutely. So for a first time angel investor who's you know doing their due diligence and they're considering an investment and a founder, um, why is it important for them to see that that founder has considered this avenue and has explored this as an option? Now, what does that tell an investor? What confidence does it give them to think that this individual's um, you know really driven and, and able to understand and unlock opportunity for themselves. Yeah, look, um, I think the first thing it tells them is that they have a, a higher degree of initiative than maybe other founders who aren't tapping into the program because they've made the effort to either research that or network with people that have that information. So that one or the other, they've been able to identify that these grants and programs exist. So I think that's the first thing that it tells you is that They've, they've thought about that and, and therefore this is potentially a, a founder worth backing. Um, 
the second thing is then going through these grant processes it's it's almost sometimes it can be like a mini due diligence process because you know the questions they ask you you are expected to provide not just responses but evidence to back up your responses so you know if you think about a due diligence process that's kind of what it is in a nutshell you ask you ask a lot of questions you get asked to justify a lot of numbers and that's a little bit of what a grant process or a, a tax incentive application process is so then as an investor you know that this founder has gone through a little bit of that they've had a taste for it and and they've been successful at it so so when they speak to you about this great product and how big the market is they're not just spitting numbers off the top of their head they've done some research they those numbers stack up because they've had someone actually question them on that in this case the government and they've been able to provide responses adequately and then therefore have been successful with that yeah excellent beautiful all right mate well now's the time on the show where we say to our guests can you be brave enough to share with us a key mistake or challenge that you faced that's become a really good blessing and lesson yeah um so yeah that's putting me on the spot there a little bit. but um, <laughs> well, it could be business it could be personal it could be yeah um, you know an improvement that you've made out of sure. experience yeah so i think you know in a previous conversation that we had i mentioned that i've spent about nine years in a in a big four consulting firm before spinning out on my own and and when i did that it was about three years ago i think a key mistake i made is is underpricing myself um, yeah it was difficult because when you're in a, in, in a large organization, you get drummed into the back and you know, the brand is everything. The brand is what attracts the value and, and gives you the premium pricing. Suddenly I was a person without a brand is just me rocking up to meetings. You know, I didn't have business cards. I didn't have a website, any of that sort of stuff. Um, and I was initially, I was talking to mostly friendly clients, clients, you know, that I'd worked with it with at PwC and then wanted to kind of follow me across. But, uh, you know, the, the questions you kind of get asked is, well, you're not a big four anymore. You don't have the overheads, therefore you should be cheaper. Um, and that kind of devalues the value that, and the experience that I bring. Um, but in the early days, it's really hard to have that type of conversation with clients and saying, well, I'm not charging on an hourly rate or anything. I'm charging for the value that I'm providing. Um, so, you know, if I could kind of go back to three years ago, Shaquille, I would say, you know, don't undervalue yourself. Yeah. You, you've got a price that's out there. Um, and, you know, if clients recognize and appreciate and value that, then they'll be happy to pay for it. Yeah. Excellent. Um, next question we ask is what's been the best piece of advice you've received and what's been the worst piece of advice? Um Let's start with the worst. I think the worst piece of advice um, I've received is, see, I've, I've got a bit of bad advice in, over the years. Um, well, this is not the worst piece of advice, but you, know, you, you always get these comments kind of saying, be yourself. Whatever it is you do, be yourself. And I, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I think what that tracks from is the ability for us to kind of be flexible and nimble and kind of reflect on who our audiences are, right? So you're not going to, if you're completely extroverted type personality and you're having conversation with someone who's introverted, 
then be yourself is just going to be off-putting for them, right? So I think, yeah, you know, I, I think it's one of those. I'm not a big fan of these kind of big headline motherhood type um, pieces of advice uh, without considering things like context and nuance and things. So I, I wouldn't say it's the worst, but I, it's something that I I have trouble with grappling. Um, yeah. So that's that's let's put that in the worst category or, or not so great <laughs> <laughs> category. Um, look, best piece of advice um, or phrase that I like is um, Nike, just do it. Um, you know, I've been sitting in Big Four Consulting for nine years and I've always had this idea that I might spin off do my own thing. And for various reasons, I kind of went, nah, I don't, you know, it's risky, it's hard. That's not me. I'm not an entrepreneur. I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial type culture. It's not going to work. But sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and do it. Um, and if it yep. works out, great. If it's not, you know, you've had an experience. You go back to whatever you're doing before. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, all right. So I'd love to hear from you. Is there one particular business startup unicorn that uh, we'd all be familiar with? that maybe you'd like to highlight on our show to really give us an example to an aspiring angel investor of a business that has been awesome and one that they could well have been um, the early stage angel investor in. Oh, that's, that's an interesting one. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a company, so they're not, they're not a unicorn yet but I think they're on their way there. They'll be, they won't be known to too many people, but there's a company out of Malaysia called Jibble um, yes. that does essentially does time capture for staff. So, you know, for many, many industries, um, you're still required to capture time, clock in, clock out time, because that's how you get paid and all that sort of stuff. Yes. And it started by an ex-Morgan Stanley investment banker um, well developed product and and what I like about it and what I think will make these guys unicorn is they take they take a pain point which is how do I capture time attendance data clocking in and out and how do I do that easily simply and they focus almost exclusively on that it doesn't have all these other things that people might be tempted into adding or you know what if it did this or that um, but if a track when people went on breaks or all that, it kind of strips it off and says, this is the core problem. And if we solve this problem really, really well, then that's our market. And so that I like that kind of really laser like focus that don't get distracted by other opportunities. And so they've developed something that's really, really quality. Um, and they're starting to get some really big, um, clients. So they've, they're based out of Malaysia, but they've got clients in the UAE. They've got clients in Singapore and other parts of Southeast Asia. And that's the other thing I like about it is, is they are based in Southeast Asia. So for me, that's, that's kind of future growth market right there. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so Jibble, keep an eye out for that one. Um, I love it. It's a great example, mate. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I'm familiar with that business. And uh, you're right. So it solves a big problem. It, it solves a big problem, right? And it's something, when you think about time attendance data, you go, oh, surely someone's come up with, you know, isn't that just a timesheet or whatever? Um, 
but so many industries still depend on just knowing when a person clocks in, when a person clocks out, and, and it's still really significant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have time for one last question. This is one yeah. we love to ask our guests, and that is, what is Shaquille Yusuf reading and listening to right now? Um, reading, don't get a lot of time for reading. I'm just reading investment proposals at the moment. Um, there's an interesting program just opened up recently in Queensland called the Building Infrastructure Fund, which is the Queensland government giving a, essentially interest-free loans to proponents that are looking to build a piece of infrastructure. So wow. I'm helping companies um, go through that process. I'm leading um, various investment proposals for things that like um, frozen food processing to an ethanol plant to hemp growing and manufacturing. So it's a really diverse range. So that's you know, spare reading time kind of goes into that. So that's what yeah. I'm reading. Um, listening to um, on the drives to and from meetings. I like to listen to a couple of podcasts. So um, I'm trying to learn Arabic. Um, so there's a couple of podcasts that you can do that teaches you various phrases. Um, kind of find that learning a, a language keeps the mind stimulated in a, in a different way to just work. <laughs> so, so when I get a chance, I just put that on and repeat after me as I'm driving down the freeway. And... I love it, mate. Excellent. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We're going to have to check back in with you and find out more as we progress because there's so much to learn in this space and, and it sounds like a lot of things update quite regularly. So absolutely, it'd be great for us to be able to tap into you as a resource and, and keep our community updated. Is yep. there one key domain or website or area that you'd like us as a community to focus on and, and head to now? Yeah, um, business.gov.au. That is federal government's resource that covers pretty much every single federal, state, council grant that you can imagine. So it's a great aggregator of that information and really easy to navigate. All you do is type in what you're doing and what kind of assistance you might be after and you'll get a whole bunch of responses. And, you know, that's, that's the starting point. Excellent. And is there a particular URL people can check out for you and your business? Yep. Uh, Sold Consulting, S-A-L-D Consulting, one word, dot com. Mate, it's been a pleasure, Shaquille Yusuf. You're a, you're a superstar. Thanks for <laughs> Thanks, your time mate. on the show. You do, kind. Good to talk to you. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.